thank you for downloading episode one of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and in each episode I'm going to be chatting with a broad spectrum of people from the entertainment industry and I begin by chatting to a writer. Uh, now this guy, he's, uh, he's written a couple of the Hellraiser films. Uh, we chat about Kiss because he wrote Detroit Rock City. Uh, you'll find out what the link is between Barbed Wire, Leprechaun 2 and Scream 2. Um, there's a lot to fit in into the 60 minutes and we just about do it in time before the alarm goes off. There's a couple of audio feedback issues but I can assure you that it does not spoil your entertainment that you're gonna get as I spend 60 minutes chatting with Carl Dupree. Hey Carl, thank you so much for joining me in, the, in this first show. Excellent, thank you, it's good to be here. You David. It's, uh, it's awesome. been a while since we've chatted <laughs> to say the least. I know what a what an amazing uh, it's been it's been a while. We'll just say that. I don't want to say how much time's gone by, but it's been it's been a hefty chunk. It certainly has. Um, I mean, the last time we saw each other face to face, we were we were in Romania on the set of Hellraiser Hellworld uh, many years ago, and this I mean hell this is a good a place as any to start. Because because you wrote two of the Hellraiser films, you wrote six and eight, which was Hellseeker and Hellworld, and it leads me into asking because I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know the difference. You're credited um, as written by mm-hmm. for Hellseeker, and you're credited as screenplay for Hellworld. Could you explain what the difference is between being credited as writer and being credited for screenplay? Well, uh, that might be a question for the WGA, you know, the Writers Guild of America, uh, as far as credits go. But I can tell you that they were two, they were two completely different experiences, and I can see why I received the, the written-by credit for Hellseeker was because Hellseeker was a sort of a blank pit right from the start. Uh, I had to come up with a story, um, and... I worked with the director a lot on that, but it was a completely original story. It was um, just just like a, a total blank page experience, which um, is daunting and uh, it can be intimidating, but we had a great time doing that, and we actually came up, came up with the, what I thought was a very original, cool uh, story that was still in keeping with the Hellraiser um, uh, mythology, you know, and, um, and paid respect. Um, to you know, to Clive Barker and all that, mm-hmm. and uh, if you remember, we I mean we 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 did it was an original story, but we did have characters from the first Hellraiser, which uh, you know I mean they take care of that with you know it's based on uh, Clive Barker's work, so but I can see why I would get a written by on that because I technically the origin of the story was with me, yeah, and there, like I said, I work with the director, and if I remember, uh, he actually brought another writer on after me. Um, but, uh, but it was, uh, the story spawned in me. So there, so there's that with Hellseeker, the, the was, there was an existing short story and this is, this is interesting. It wasn't really, it was a treatment for a script that was written by the executive producer, Joel Swasson, and it had nothing to do with Hellraiser or Pinhead or anything. It was a, it was a story about a bunch of kids who go to this mansion and they're, they're at this party, and all these weird things start happening. It's a very scary story, very effective. But what they wanted to do was to inject Pinhead and the Hellraiser universe into this story. 
So just keep in mind, it was a pre-existing story, and what I did was I, I hell-razored it up. <laughs> I, put in, I put in Pinhead. I made the, the, there's this villain in the story who's consistent with the villain in the original story, but the, the big difference is he made a deal with, the, with Pinhead and the Cenobites, and the, the character played by Lance Henriksen. And uh, so in that sense, the story wasn't completely mine uh, originally. You know what I mean? It came from it came from a source. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it wasn't a Hellraiser or a Clive Barker source, it was still a source. So that's why I got a screenplay by on that one. Uh, it was it was more of I was coming in um, to uh, rewrite something that had already been written in a sense. You know, it was a massive rewrite, but still, you know, the the seed of that of all that began with someone else. Whereas the seed for uh, Hellseeker was with me. That was that was uh, you know, um, I was I was the the person who uh, who started it. So, if you will. So, what was more of a challenge for you then? Was it starting with a blank page and you've got to come up with the whole story and the whole idea as a Hellraiser film, or is it going into it where you've got to adapt a pre-existing story? What, what's the hardest one to do? Well, well, well these are very subjective things um, that you're talking about in, in writing. Uh, as with any creative process, what's difficult and what's easy, um, The I would say, yes, the Hellseeker was a more difficult um, script to write, and here you know here's another interesting thing. They already had a, a a script written for Hellseeker, which oddly enough had a lot to do with the internet and technology and <laughs> computers. Which if you remember, that was in Hellworld, right? Yeah. But in but this one that we had a script and um, the director uh, Rick Boda, I, I I love him. His his whole thing was I can't make a movie where people are yelling at computer screens. I can't <laughs> do that. He said he said it would look absolutely ridiculous. I'm reading the script and every other scene has these people going, No, oh please God, and they're in front of these computers, you know, and it's like it, it's like really uh it was ridiculous it looked like you know, something out of a scary movie. So we, we chucked out that script, the entire script. We didn't keep anything it was really funny. So like Right then and there, when we agreed to do that, I was just like, "Oh no, what what have I done? This is it. We gotta we gotta start from square one." And it was it was um, we we'd meet often, and I would write, 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 and we keep writing. And it was it was a it was a long process, and it is, um, any writer can tell you that 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 staring at that blank page, it's uh, or blank screen as it were, because you know we're we're living in the age of computers now, but looking at that is is as scary as any <laughs> Hellraiser movie. <laughs> it's a scary experience. You're like, what do I do now? But um, also there is a joy. Uh, uh, and, and again, you know, any, any creative person can say there's a, there's a, there's a, a joy when you're, when you um, start putting stuff down and it's working and it's really working well and you can tell. And I, I just love that. I'd love taking, you know, I love taking meetings um, with, with uh, the uh, Rick and the producers of Hellseeker where, you know, we were going over parts of the script and like, oh my God, you know, like, like if you can make someone gasp or jump when they're reading a script, that is it. It's like if you're writing comedy and you can make someone laugh when they're reading the script, what an achievement. Um, and so that, that, that there was, there was a much like bigger sort of creative payoff, I should say, even though it was more difficult, it was a huge payoff 
for me when I when the script was finally finished. At least the draft that I the, the draft that I worked worked on, which is very close to the finish the finished product. Um, to have that to have those experiences where I'm scaring people who have, who've read the script and like people are emailing me like I just got to the part with the vending machine or something like that. Like this guy this guy was up all night because he read there, there's a part in the it actually mounted made it into the movie where somebody's looking at a vending machine and they're they see something like in in behind like the candy bars and this hand comes out and and and, and presses against the glass very quickly and and it was and it worked you know the when it was in the the way it was laid out in the script it it uh this guy said he had he couldn't get to sleep after he read that <laughs> the producer uh Jesse Brinka and um uh that so there was that but with 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 hell world it was more easily and if i remember correctly i wrote the script in 10 days and i don't know if there are any screenwriters out there okay this is sort of like this we're in the you know michael jordan zone of screenwriting right now uh, with this because when i tell you these you, i wrote 10 pages a day and i was finished in 10 days with that script but the cheat there is there was already an existing treatment so I, but I wasn't like just flashing out the treatment. I was changing a lot to make it Hellraiser-ish. And um, so it was, it was like a slam dunk, but I, I jumped on that trampoline. You know what I mean? I had to jump on a trampoline in order to make that slam dunk. <laughs> but it was 10, but it was 10 days. It was, and it was really, it flowed right out. It was great. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was, it was uh, at first, you know, now that you mentioned it, I was I was pretty scared because when I read the script I'm like how how is this going to fit into the Hellraiser mythology you know how is this going to fit into this and I had to sit there for a while um, before I actually put um, you know pen to papers or uh, metaphorically speaking you know but um, to sit there and go how how is this going to fit into uh, a Pinhead Hellraiser the Cenobites this this isn't, you know, where am I going to put the, the box, you know, all that stuff. And, um, of course, we had already, when I was on, you know, backtracking again, Hellraiser 6, we figured out that by that point, by the time you get that far into a series, you know, a franchise, you don't really have to put Pinhead in all that much. You don't have to put the Lament configuration or the, the center. You only need a hint, shadows, you know, um, and, and you got to, I mean, you got to pay, pay off. You know, that recent Godzilla movie, I guess Godzilla was in it for about two minutes or something. <laughs> but apparently there were like these little glimpses of Godzilla uh, along the way, you know. And, and that was, uh, I guess there was like a 20-minute fight scene at the end, actually, was, was uh, what they were saying. But um, with, with Hell World, you know, just put it, all we needed was the box in one scene. All we needed was these little scenes with Doug Bradley as Pinhead very quick and and that you know you, you throw you throw that um and and the fans um feel like they they've uh they've been satisfied you know um because we've gotten so far into it you know what i mean and and uh i think we used if we had you know clearly like like there's a pro one of the, the symptoms of sequelitis is when you use something too much that's been used before you know overuse it i think that's my opinion so I was very happy with the way that turned out, and, and yes, it was it was an easier process, and but but 
uh, Hell World is a lot more fun for me personally because uh, I got to be I got to be flown out to Romania. You know, I got, I got put up in the hotel. I was I was there and uh, I got to see um, a good chunk of the movie get made, which was fantastic. I got to meet the actors. That's always wonderful when a writer can meet the actors who are saying the words that the writer's putting down on the page. And um, brilliant people, all of them. And um, I don't have to wonder whatever happened to Henry Cavill either. You know, <laughs> he he wound up doing okay. <laughs> you know, he's uh, he's doing all right now. And he was a cool guy. I thought he was really awesome. Uh, you know, just like a. a, a kind of a wild man you know what i mean uh but uh but like i was like this this guy's uh, got a pretty good future ahead of him you know i did i did say that to myself i said why well, i was actually wondering at the time why he wasn't doing anything bigger but anyway there yeah, you go. yeah i remember my my um my claim to fame is that i played well i played pool quite a lot with with all the cast at night mm. and, and henry never beat me at pool so i can say Superman can't beat me at pool. That's my claim to fame now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. So, so what... seeing that movie and just like, oh yeah, I hang, I hung with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah me and him go way back. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like then? It must be it must be such a great feeling when you see these actors, um, and they're performing these you know the words that you've sat there and written and. Um, do you envision the character maybe what what they look like when you're when you're writing the, the script, or have you got any sort of idea in your head of what you think they should look like? And does it make a huge difference when you see them on screen and they're totally different to how you originally thought them? Yes, that is a great question. Wow, um, that is great because when I was writing, first of all, with Hell World, and I guess I'll stick with Hell World because. I did get to meet the actors and I got to hang with them and sort of like catch their vibes, what they were about as people too. Not that that matters because they're playing characters, but um, you, I mean, it matters a little bit because then you, you can see what their strengths are and you can sort of exploit that. But I'll backtrack a little bit on, on, on Hell World. You know, obviously there's, there's an original story written there. So there were characters that were kind of laid out and those characters were in my head and as I wrote the first few drafts of Hellworld, I did have sort of generic uh, horror movie characters in my head. When I say generic, I mean like I grew up with with uh, you know Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, and it was so it was a cast full of sort of like these white bread suburban characters, you know, uh, characters from those movies, um, stock characters and then you know as i as i and and they they, they kind of like uh how can i put it the more i got into it i could say okay this one like there was one character who who didn't swear like i i was like okay i can see that like this character you know she looks you know the the to go beyond the listen to give these characters personalities um that differentiate them from other characters which is like always an important thing when you're writing um but, like, there was one character who didn't swear. You know, there were two characters who had, uh, uh, you know, sort of, they had a past. They were romantically linked. Um, there were other, the, there were characters that were best buddies. And, um, you know, the, that was, it was, it's always nice um, to envision, like, 
and, and I know that there there are some writers, and and I've I've never personally done this, but um, they envision actual stars, uh, in in the roles as they're writing, which I I haven't been able to do. I come up with a character, and it's like it comes out of a box. This character, I've never seen it before. Never seen him or her, I should say. Never seen this character before. When I start writing, I open up this box, and there's this character. And the character has a look, and the character has sort of mannerisms and a, and a kind of a personality already. I know the character's hair color, you know, all this stuff. Um, I know what, what their voice sounds like. But, and, and so that, that, that was like, there was a lot of that on um, uh, the Hellworld script, because I did wind up having to fabricate some characters. But um, once I got to that set and I met these people, and I was like, oh, man, this is great, you know, because... That's the thing about directing. Directors, I mean, I, I, I would, uh, I'm always envious of a director who knows exactly the right person to put in what role. And I thought that um, when I met those actors, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. They didn't look like the way I had envisioned them. But once I met them, I could start saying, oh, wow, that's, they can do that. Like, they can play this character and they can add their, you know, something else to it that I couldn't have envisioned when I was writing it. And like I said, I, I, I would meet them and I would, I would catch their, you know, w you know what the strengths and weaknesses are. And I was, and as I was rewriting, I was rewriting on the set, I could say, Oh yeah, well, so-and-so would say it like this. And I, you know, like you, you, you figure out um, what they'd be able to like, how they'd be able to deliver a line, how to word a line that could best be delivered by them in their voice. Um, you know, as as a as a person, you know, and um, and uh, that was uh, it was very uh, also on Detroit Rock City. There was a similar there's a similar thing there, but the script was already written. The script had already been written, and I wasn't playing with the script anymore. But um, but um, on on this one, um, it was very nice to be able to sort of meet them and hang with them, and mingle with them. Um, you know, Anne, Catherine. Uh, Henry, they were, and, uh, there was, uh, the guy who played Jake, who I remember he was, he went on to, uh, to, um, what was it? Oh, man, it was like, it was like, uh, Teen Titans, I think it was at the time. Okay. Okay. Anybody that rings a bell with anybody, I can't remember the actor's name. But anyway, and I know there were more people, of course, Lance, oh my God, Lance Henriksen, the best. He's amazing, He's isn't amazing. he? He was really good. I love that. I love the. It's awesome. I love talking to him. He has such a nice voice. He always like this really this rich voice that, you know, radio announcer type voice. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. There's there was that experience. Have you seen the latest Hellraiser? And if you have, what did you think of that one? Oh my goodness, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Um, I'm I'm going to see it. I think someday. <laughs> but. In all honesty, in all honesty, I didn't. Um, the re the reviews on that weren't too good, um, and I don't know. Maybe I'm bringing my own baggage into it, but I said, "Well, uh, I'll, I'll see it when it comes on uh, when it comes on Netflix." You know? hmm. But I still haven't seen it. So, um, but uh, did did you wind up seeing it? Is it and is it good? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I think. The weird thing is because Doug Bradley isn't Pinhead, you know, that's the thing that constantly keeps smacking you in the face and it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to get over. Uh, 
yeah, it's. I'm, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of it, but it was. I've seen a hell of a lot worse as well. You know, it's, it's not glowing praise I'm giving it. I know, but it's it's uh, fair to middling. I think is a good British phrase to use for it. Right, right. Um, well, yes, I did not foray into that uh, that new the new Hellraiser thing. Um, there's there's also the thing of like um, you know as far as I'm concerned, and then, you know it's a it's an ego thing definitely, but it's like oh you know what if it's really good? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I suppose it's really really good. A little bit of resentment there, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I will I will check it out, and I did. I know it's. Uh, I saw the poster for it, and that guy wasn't working for me. The guy was playing Pinhead. He wasn't working for me too much. But um, Yeah, that, I, is, that is the main thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but I'm glad that they're, they're, they're continuing. They're, 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 I don't know if they're going to be making any more of those. But, um, you know, good, it's good for them. It's good for Clive to have that get perpetuated. Um. It's a good, you know, the, the original book, The Hellbound Heart, is fantastic. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely a, a genius, horror genius, horror icon. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's great that they, they're, they're uh, you know, pressing on with that and, and, and keeping that um, in the air. You know, it's a great, it's great, uh, it's a great story. Oh, it, it is, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not the last we've heard of. Hellraiser as well because I've heard like Clive Bark is going to well the last right that he was he's going to direct it possibly as well. Oh, that's great! Yeah, this last one I uh, I meant to ask because um, the answer has never been entirely clear. But was it a reboot, a remake, a sequel? No, it, it's it's it carried on. I think as far as I know, and I could be wrong on this, it was made just so the people, the studio, could keep the rights to it. It was one of those that if they okay. didn't produce anything, they'd lose the rights to it. And so, But it was, yeah, it, it just carried on. It didn't reboot it or anything. It was just like another okay. chapter in the story. Another chapter. I did enjoy, like I said, I wrote 6 and 8, and I saw all the, the previous ones, but it took me a long time. It took me about 10 years, I would say. Oh, there I go. I'm dating myself. All right. <laughs> it took me about 10 years to watch 6. I mean... Seven, that's what I meant. I, I, I wrote six, six and eight. But seven, the one in between the two that I wrote. Isn't that funny? I finally saw it. I'm like, oh, this is a great movie. <laughs> that, that was a really good, And that was the movie. They made that at the same time as Hellworld. I mean, yes. Debtor. And then I remember I flew out and they were just finishing Debtor and they were just starting Hellworld. So isn't that funny? I finally got around to seeing that. That's it. So you're all up to date more or less now. So, you just got, you got one more. <laughs> I got to watch that one <laughs> Oh my goodness! But, oh, but uh, it's good. It's a Hellraiser, fantastic series, fantastic movie. Like original movie, groundbreaking, and then just a great, uh, great franchise. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it, you know, there's definitely a lull kind of in the middle. There's, there's, you know what I mean? There's a lull, but um, uh, I don't know. The outer space one that was, uh, I still give that like an A for effort. You know. Yeah, that was number four, wasn't it? Yeah, number four. But uh, and yeah. five, five was really terrific. Oh yeah, I think I think everything ends up in space at some point in a franchise, doesn't it? Remember Lepre Leprechaun wound up in space. Isn't that... <laughs> I did, yeah. Can I tell you so that this isn't? I I I don't mind 
telling people about my my checkered past in the movie industry. But I was a, an assistant editor on Leprechaun 2, a.k.a. <laughs> one wedding and a lot of funerals. <laughs> I was going to was going to bring this up because this is something I never knew about you. Really? Okay. Until this afternoon, I'll be totally honest with you. And I was, I was going through your IMDb and I I thought, "Oh my god, I never knew you like you were assistant editor." I was looking through these things and I saw Leprechaun 2 and then I saw, "Oh my god, you worked on Barbed Wire, Barbed Wire as well." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about uh, kind of sort of uh, black marks on your history there. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. They were, it, it's, it is what it is. You know, a movie career is a movie career. Once you do it, you can't undo it, you know. But, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of everything that I worked on because, you know, it, they, they were all great experiences for me personally. Um, I'm not sure if, if movie-going audiences would agree that Leprechaun 2 or Barbed Wire were great experiences for them, <laughs> but they, they, they was, uh, cherished memories. You know what I mean? Cherished memories. Oh yeah. I mean, you, got, you, you have got a Vita on there and Mimic and Scream Two that you're assistant editor on as well. And uh, I'm sure people would uh, would hate if I didn't ask. Could you, what is an assistant editor then? What did you do on those? All right. Well, the what I did has been um, outmoded by computers now. But uh, and it, movie editing was done on celluloid, which is the physical print. Pardon me. It was a physical print of the movie, which everybody knows what celluloid is. You know, it's the frames that, you know, you hold up for the light. You can see all the frames. Right. And um, they come in reels. And the sound is separate from the picture. Sound is recorded separately from, from the picture. And this is a really important part of what, an assistant editor does. It's main, It's one of the main things. It's huge. But what a, an assistant editor does is sync up the sound to the picture. And that's what they have. All the, the, the slate at the beginning, you know, take one. You know, you can hear that, that clap, the slate. And what an, assistant, what an assistant editor does is they hear, they listen for that sound, the clack. And then they look for the place on the celluloid, the frames. They find that place where, if you can imagine those two pieces of wood connecting, you know, in solid and in focus, and that's how you sync. Um, that's a quick, really, really quick lesson in how to sync dailies. You know, they, the, the dailies are the, are, the, are the footage that come in every day from the from um, the movie set. But the, syncing up the sound in the picture is actually a really, really important thing. And now they they can do that on computers now. Um, very easily, and um, the other thing that an assistant editor does is keep track of all the footage, and uh, you create basically a library of all the footage. Uh, there's something like a hundred thousand feet of film that is shot, and there's something like fifteen thousand feet that winds up making a movie. So that's a, that's a ratio there. And I'm, I could be, I could be off. Um, maybe there's some assistant editors out there who can. Correct me in, um, on that one. But anyway, the ratio is, uh, uh, it's, it's actually, it's much more than uh, 10 to 1 now that I think of it. I mean, you know, it was, for every foot, foot of film that shot, or for every, like, say, 30 feet of film that shot, one foot is used. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so there's, there's a huge library 
of of uh, that you gotta like, and you gotta describe like every scene. They're all broken up into scenes. Like um, this is the opening sequence, and you have all the footage from the opening sequence, all the takes. So there are fifteen takes. Or if you're working on like a Kubrick movie, there are a hundred takes. <laughs> uh, there are a hundred takes of you know Jack Nicholson peeking through the 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 wooden going, here's Johnny. And of course, you know, you, you have, so you have to keep track of all that. You have to keep, and, and you have to like, keep track of which takes the director likes, which takes the editor likes. So it's, it's, it really, it's a clerical work is what it is. It's a, it's a big time clerical job. All, it's all been outmoded by computers, Avid, Pro Tools, Lightworks, if they still use that. Um, but uh, that was my, my job was, um, you know, the editor, the editor was like, okay, we got this like um, scene where the, where the scream guy, where the ghoul, the scream ghoul, um, he just stabbed whatever, um, uh, Heather Graham. And he's standing there with the knife. I want to extend that shot so we can see him clean the knife off with his glove, right? Do you remember where, where that shot was? And, like, I have to think, I have to go, all right, I need to find the extension of that shot. And usually they can tell by their, they number the, the, the feet. Um, and then you get, the, they number each foot of the uh, of, of film. But, um, so the editor, there's, there's kind of a short hand there. He's like, can you get me the, can you get me the tail of scene five, take six, or something like that? You know what I mean? And, and that's, I'd, I'd fetch that. You know, and um, the whole the whole thing of being an assistant editor is someday you get to move up and become an editor, a regular editor. You know, but for that, for now, you have to you have to worry about numbers and and like footages and where where everything is located in these boxes of of celluloid and uh, everything. It's it's a it's a very sort of organizationally uh, intensive job and uh, one that I had to kind of force myself to be good at and there are a lot of editors out there right now who've been going oh carl wasn't that carl, were you kidding me that guy was awful no i'm, I'm just kidding uh, uh he, but it was something that i had to work at to get good at because um i'm not numerically oriented i'm not uh, s sort of uh, uh organizationally oriented i'm more more creative and and uh, but but it was fun it was fun working on all those movies um especially uh Scream 2 was really uh, a great uh, point because, um, you know, I got to meet uh, Wes Craven. I got to, you know, we, he would take us out to lunch. He would take the editing team out to lunch, you know, and we get to sit and listen to all these stories about uh, him making movies, you know, uh, back in the day. And, and, you know, it's just uh, it was a great experience that and course every every movie um when you're working in the cutting room you really are experiencing like you get to meet all the people that you wish you could have met if you were like just on the set you know if you're in the cutting room everybody shows up the big the big people show up sometimes you even run into some of the stars you know um which is uh, it's really cool it's great i, I think if, if anybody out there wants to become a writer director or even just a director or, or, you know, like me, like a writer, um, the editing room is a perfect place to start. Um, set work isn't going to get you too far if you're a production assistant. I mean, it's great. It's good to, to do that. But that's more of like 
if you want to become a, 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 a an AD, it's known as a, you know the guy who calls action and cut. Um, or if you want to become a, a director of photography, I would say be, being a camera assistant is pretty important. But if you, if you want to get into producing, directing, writing, editing is like the editing room is is a really really cool place to be. You can see how stories get put together on film. And you know what? As a writer, I was able to see what what was working and what wasn't working when they were shooting. Like I would see, I would see the story coming together, getting pieced together, and I was I, I and I could see when something was when the writer was being sort of vague about things. You could tell when they shot it. It was like this. This just isn't working. So I learned how to write for someone to. Um, uh, you learn how to write visually, basically. You know, you learn how to write um, using visual uh, tools, as opposed to liter liter literate tools, I guess. Yeah. 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 Was it was it through your experience then as an assistant editor that then led on to you being a writer, or had you done that before? How did you get into writing in the first place? Oh my gosh, what a question! Anyway, yeah, that's great. That's good. There's a whole story there. Um, but I wanted, to, I always wanted to be a director. I, I was, I thought I was going to be like the next Steven Spielberg. I, I'm sure me and a million other people out in Hollywood. I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. I was going to break in. I was going to make this awesome movie, Blockbuster. I was going to direct it. And um, I I got to Hollywood. I got to L.A. And um, I, was, I was already, like, I was already writing my own stuff. I liked writing short stories. Um, I liked, I wrote, pl like, a play, whatever. But I wasn't thinking, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a career writer. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking I was going to be a director. And I got to L.A. and I found out that one of the ways that people become directors is... There are two ways, actually. Two main ways that people become directors. One is to make a movie. And I don't need to tell you. It costs a lot of money to make a movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, you can't really just make a movie. Um, and the other one is to write a script and to say, yeah, yeah, I want to direct this. If, if it's really good, people will take you, people actually look at you for a second and go, no. But they'll actually, they'll, they'll give you that like little one second. And you know what? If you do that enough times, eventually people will start saying, okay. You know, it's um, sort of the Quentin Tarantino school of screenwriting. He was, that was a big uh, inspiration for me, actually, because that's a, that's a great story. He wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And ironically, he wanted to be an actor. That was his story. But anyway, he wrote and wrote and wrote. And he kept saying, yeah, I want to direct this. I want to direct this. And, and people were like, nah, you know, we got Oliver Stone interest in this one. Nah, you know, we got, uh, uh, oh, what else did he, 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 he had a few movies with some different directors. Oh, Tony Scott, True Romance. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, great film. Yeah, oh, it's an awesome movie. One of, one of, a, be, a best, one of the best for Tony Scott and Quentin Tarantino. I thought it was that pairing, but um, you know when when you got Tony Scott interested, even though like you know turn back, go back in time, pretend Quentin Tarantino was just a kid. Go yeah, that's great. We know you want to direct it, but we got Tony Scott, the guy who did you know Top Gun and uh, whatever Crimson Crimson Tide. I don't know if he did Crimson Tide yet actually, but anyway, you know you got this guy. He's a name, you know, he's a name director, but eventually. Tarantino wrote enough 
scripts where, um, and you know, he wrote one that was pretty simple. That Reservoir Dogs was a pretty simple, basic script. Not uncomplicated though. It was it was uh, it was good, good writing, and um, but um, he he was able to make it on a modest budget, you know. Uh, but uh, that was that was an inspiration for me, and I was writing, 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 and. You know, if, if I look back, the amount of writing that I did before I wrote Detroit Rock City wasn't that much. Detroit Rock City was, I believe, the fifth script that I wrote, which, I mean, actually, if you talk to writers out in Hollywood, I mean, there are people who write, like, 15 scripts, and they're still, they're still working. So I got lucky. I, I, I lucked out big time. That was that was a very lucky experience. And I'm working in the, the editing experience with this, but... Um, yeah, I wrote uh, I wrote like five scripts. I mean, Detroit Rock City was was the fifth script, and I kind of got, oh, man, that is so funny because um, I wasn't living in Hollywood long. It only took me like two years to write. Now that I think of it, it took me like two years to write four scripts. Um, so that's that's sick, but um, I was working on. Uh, actually, yeah, I was I was working with an editor named Peter Schenk who went on to actually edit Detroit Rock City, and we were working on a movie called uh, The Stoned Age with a director named James Malconian, and that was like it was kind of a '70s it had kind of a '70s vibe to it, but it was about uh, <laughs> these kids who want to get uh, they were going they're basically going to a party and they want to get some action with some girls. And they were they were kind of blue oyster cult fans, um, but it was really funny because um, I, I I told this editor um, previously I said somebody should do like an I want to hold your hand, which is the, the movie about the Beatles that uh, Robert Zemeckis made. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that. Yes. Yeah. All right. I want to hold your hand. I said somebody's got to write an I want to hold your hand, but with Kiss is like the Holy Grail. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. So we're on this movie with, with James Malconi, and then that, that movie wraps. And, of course, like, he is a big fan of, of the 70s, that director. And, um, like, I want to say it was about a, six months later where we were uh, at lunch. And um, I, I went out to lunch with, with Peter and James Malconi, and it was like a little bit of like a reunion type thing. And... Um, Pete like said, "Yeah, Carl's working on this uh, Kiss movie script." I'm like, "What?" Because he remembered what I said. He's like, "Yeah, I'm working on this Kiss movie script." It's, uh, and and James Malconian's eyes lit up. He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, it takes place in the '70s." He's like, "Really? That's awesome!" And uh, he goes, "How far along are you with it?" And I looked at Peter Schenk, and I'm like, "What's going?" On? I'm like, "All right." I said, eh, "You know, I've been working on it for about three months." He goes, "Oh, really? So you should be like halfway done with it." I'm like, "Yeah." So I did the math in my head, and I'm like, all right, so i got to write a script by April, which is like, whatever, three months away. So it was, re it was really funny. It was a funny little thing of, like, somebody poking me, you know, somebody prodding me yeah. into doing this. And I, I felt like killing that guy. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I was like, how could you do that? But, uh, but it was, one, it was the, the best thing that could have happened because um, I went on this, like, I, I, I just... Uh, how can I put it? It was um, it was definitely like uh, I felt like boot camp. I was in boot camp. I put myself into boot camp, writing boot camp. 
I know I had written some scripts before, but I was like, I really want to make this. Like I said, okay, I want to hold your hand. First thing I did was I rented I Want to Hold Your Hand. Then after that, I read the script for I Want to Hold Your Hand. And then I read it again, and I read it again. And I'm like, how, how can I make this, like, I Want to Hold Your Hand? But I was, like, that Quentin Tarantino thing, I was really inspired by Pulp Fiction. And this is funny. The first draft of Detroit Rock City had each of their four main characters, their four kids. I had each one, each one's story linear, like, went through Jam's story, then I went through Hawk's story, then I went through Lex's story, beginning, middle, end, beginning, middle, end, and they intersect, you know what I mean, at certain times. Yeah. So it was like this, it was, a, it was a Tarantino, I turned it into a Tarantino thing, and then I said, no, I gotta, I should probably not do that, because it, it got kind of complicated, you know. Um, I said, maybe this wouldn't be a good idea for my first, like, big script to make it this, this weird, you know. Um, uh, but, um, so I, I, I wrote it, I then like, um, wrote it just like, uh, I, I kind of like threw out, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to write beginning, middle, end. I threw out like the whole three act structure thing. I said, I'm just going to write a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And I'm going to see what happens. And like I said, you know, uh, these, these four kids go off into their own stories and, I just wound up doing this, like, I remember writing, like, doing this diagram of, like, where each character would be at uh, 6 o'clock at night, where each character would be at 6.15, where each character would be at 6, you know what I mean? It was, it was like, map. And I, I but uh, um, I finally got it done, and then I, I it, was, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of work, and then I gave it, I gave the script to James Malcone, he loved it. He was like, oh, he has a great script. He goes, so, um, what does Kiss think of it? <laughs> I don't know, Kiss, he goes, Oh, oh, all right. Well, good luck. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I felt like I, I, I went back to square one. That's it. I am never writing another script with, a, with an existing commodity in it. It's, it's. I can't do that anymore. I had, I had an idea for this movie about uh, Elvis working with um, an FBI agent on like the, that, this true story. Elvis was working with the FBI to bust these. Uh, drug lords back in the late 60s, early 70s. I don't know if you ever saw the the picture of him shaking hands with Richard Nixon, but that's that's what that's all about. He was an honorary FBI agent. But I was going to make a buddy picture where this guy, his partner, is uh, Elvis Presley. And I, <laughs> that sounds brilliant. <laughs> I was going to call it the King and Me. So, but um, but I said uh, I don't own Elvis. I don't own. I don't have that copyright. So I. But anyway, um, what wound up happening was I, I, I said, all right, forget this. I put Detroit Rock City in, in my desk drawer for like whatever, another six months. And I wound up on Barbed Wire. And the interesting thing about Barbed Wire it was also edited by Peter Schenck, and, um, which is another important thing um, there. Uh, but uh, I was working, you would swear, like we had like 20 assistant editors on this movie, all right? There was like a sound department, an effects department. It was like we were working on Apocalypse Now. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, was, it was like this huge editing crew. And um, there was this one kid, and, and we, uh, we would go, his name was David Feldman. We would be talking, like we, we were side by side um, at our editing benches. That's what the, the editor's desk is called, a bench. And um, we were syncing up dailies. We were like syncing up the the and we're, and, and we're like, oh man, is, isn't this 
it sucks working on other people's movies. We want to work on, our, you know, doing that thing. Like, when are we going to work on our own movies? And this, this kid's like, I want to make a movie about this. I got this idea, blah, blah, blah. He's telling me stuff. He goes, you got anything in the works? And I said, oh, yeah, well, I wrote this movie about these kids going to see a Kiss concert in 1978. And he flipped out. He said, I know this uh, actor named Kevin Corrigan who wants to play Ace Freely in the Ace Freely story. So I was like, oh, all right, cool. And I gave him the script, and, and, and he gave it to his friend Kevin Corrigan, who's like this indie actor. Um, and, I mean, he's been in a, in, a, in a ton of stuff since then. I mean, at the, at the time, he was... Um, He's on the indie scene, and he he loved it so much he gave it to his manager, and his manager gave it to this woman who uh, wanted to get into producing, a casting agent, casting director, wanted to be, get into producing movies, and she was partnering with a guy named Barry Levine, and um, this all happened without me knowing. Like they, they the script started traveling around, you know what I mean, and it wound up on the desk of this uh, this casting director who was going to lunch with Barry Levine and when she showed him the title of this script Detroit Rock City he goes oh is this about Kiss and she's like yeah he goes as I used to photograph Kiss back in the 70s you know they're getting back together again they're going to put the makeup on this was 1976 he was getting on a plane to go to London to shoot their reunion thing the Psycho Circus deal so just think, I mean, just think about like how like the stars came into alignment on this. I gave David Feldman this this copy of Detroit Rock City, and then like I want to say about two weeks later, um, the phone rang, and it was it was Barry Levine, and he goes, "Yeah, Gene loves the script," and I was like, "Gene, what do you mean? Who's Gene?" <laughs> I was so I was so out of I was sort of out of the loop of where how this film tried. He goes. Gene Simmons, you fucking moron! He goes like, I'm like, what? Gene Simmons, and, and um, uh, apparently he got on that plane. He went to London, and on the on the ride, he on the flight he read the script, and then when he got off the plane, he gave it to Kiss's manager, and you know the rest is um, history, as they say. You know uh, they attached themselves to to the script then, and um. And things started happening very quickly. And it's the reason why, like, this, the, the whole Peter Schenck connection, that editor, he is Adam Rifkin's main editor. And Adam Rifkin, as you know, wound up directing Detroit Rock City. And so Adam was totally, like, in the loop. When I was writing Detroit Rock City, you know, he was, like, in the loop on all that. Like, he, he followed my, my progress when I was going through the drafts and all that. And um, when you know... Like once, uh, once all that started happening, Adam's name came up as a potential director, and and he, he goes, oh yeah, I know all about this script. He's like uh, my my uh, editor. This is this is like an assistant editor friend of mine. He goes, yeah, I totally know about this, and um, it was pretty amazing. It was like just I don't know, kind of like everything fell into place on that. Now, at the same time, you know, once once Detroit Rock City started happening, I still, like, that was all, there was interest in the script, which, as any screenwriter in Hollywood can tell you, that and 50 cents won't even, like, buy you a cup of coffee today, but, um, but there's interest in the script, that one. At the same time, I was going on to work with um, Patrick Lussier, the guy who cut Scream 2 and Mimic, and he's a big horror fan, as you probably know. 
And um, I wrote uh, a horror script also. It was a script that I wrote right after Detroit Rock City. Um, and it was, it was called Roadkill at the time. Um, but I, I, uh, it, the, the title that I wound up giving it was Next Exit 100 Miles. And um, it, it's, it was kind of a creature horror movie, like Aliens. And um, Patrick Lussier read that script, and he loved it. And he was poised to direct his first feature, which was The Prophecy 3, with Christopher Walken. And, and he brought my script, um, my horror script, to uh, Dimension Films. And they loved it enough to give me a chance um, to work on a script with them. And um, so two things happened at once, and it was because I was working in the editing room both times. Peter Schenk was a huge connection. Patrick Lussier was the, was the other huge connection. And, of course, David Feldman, who was another assistant editor. You know, so we got two editors and one assistant editor really influencing um, my career quite a bit. So uh, um, that's a it's amazing, though, isn't it? Like you said, the the set of circumstances that happened for for all of this to pan out is uh, it's just incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, uh, it blew my mind. It really, really did. It was. Um, it, I just uh, I, I couldn't believe how quickly things happened. And you know what? Um, the Detroit Rock City experience. I, I'm still like, that's that's a sole writing credit, and if you watch that movie. 99% of what is on the screen was what was in the script, what was on the page. Very little. There were some ad-libs here and there. Um, but 99% uh, um, of what you see on the screen is mine. So I take the credit or the blame for anything that you like. <laughs> just like that's me. It's, it's amazing to me. And, of course, like the, I know there are actors in the movie, and the movie was directed, blah, blah, blah. Adam's a, a good buddy of mine still, but um, but really, the reason why I'm saying that is because so few writers have ever had that experience of having a sole writing credit and a script that was not. And, and the, the the advantage was that New Line Cinema wanted to take it take advantage of the the Kiss phenomenon at the time, that they just they rushed it into production. They put it. They, they greenlit it right away, and they had such a short pre-production schedule that they didn't even mess with the script. And, of course, I had Adam Rifkin. Adam Rifkin was in my corner all the way, and um, one of the producers, Tim Sullivan, was a really big fan of the script, too, and they agreed. They're like, let's just shoot this. Let's just do this, which it never happens in Hollywood. Never. Never, never, never. So I had a sort of golden ticket experience. Um, and it's something that I'm eternally grateful for. And at the same time, the Prophecy 3, I mean, what writer doesn't want to have Christopher Walken deliver their dialogue? <laughs> What's that movie? I'm like, he's sitting there in the DMV and he's talking to uh, the, 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 the person in the DMV and there's a joke about, um, I'm not the DMV, he's talking, to, he's talking to a policeman about, the joke is about the DMV. Anyway, I won't tell you the joke. You'll have to see the movie. But I'm, I'm, listening to him say my sort of one-liner joke dialogue and i'm like oh man that's it my life's complete now you know christopher walken spoke by not spoke my words that's it i'm done <laughs> that's, can, that's so good <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was great it was it, 
good. Those are two very good experiences. And yes, what, where would I be without without the cutting room? You know, without the editing room, it, it really was uh, a major uh, experience. And, and you know, now that I think of it, uh, it was something that I had a cousin who was living in LA at the time, and she was a production assistant. And I told her what I wanted to do, which is what everybody wants to do. I want to write and direct. She goes, Oh, you want to probably just start in the, the editing room, which I I didn't. Um, I never would have thought of doing that. I was used to being a production assistant and working on the set. But uh, this is pretty funny. I called Roger Corman's studio, which is at the time it was New Horizon. But I harassed them every single day until they put me on this movie called Blood Fist 5, Die Trying, with Don the Dragon Wilson. <laughs> and it was the worst, like, two weeks of my life. But I was so grateful because I was like, I learned how to do everything. In two weeks, I learned what most assistant editors get taught in like two years because that was that was the kind of environment it was it was brutal it was 12 to 14 hour days you know what i mean but it was it was awesome it was an awesome experience um to to i, I don't know the whole thing was was uh, was amazing and it's, it's so good it's like from the just the start from from being an assistant editor where it, the path the different paths that it took you and oh, yeah. I, one one of the things I'm going to have to get used to with these is that it, it's 60 minutes. I'm just looking at the countdown timer. We're down. We're down to just under eight minutes. Um, and I I still want to find out what you're up to now and what you get planned in the future. I can't I can't get onto that yet um, because I'm such a huge Kiss fun. fan and I know Kiss fans are listening to this. Um, I did watch Detroit Rock City again a couple of nights ago. Still holds up strong. Still love it. I mean, this stuff, you don't have to be a Kiss fan. Anybody listening to this, you don't have to be a Kiss fan to watch it. It's still a really funny film. If you are a Kiss fan, though, there's so many little nuances you're going to get. It's like the girls' names are with Beth and Christine. I <laughs> love the bit where they're talking about the rumours about Gene's tongue and how he's got a cow's tongue grafted and he'd had a little bit of the skin under his tongue cut because I remember as a 14-year-old kid hearing those exact same rumours. So that's always really good. Um, I've got to ask you, Kiss fan to Kiss fan, there's two questions that always gets asked, so I'd be, I'd be hung, drawn, and quartered if I didn't. Right, um, and and the, the quite old, boring questions, but what's, yeah. what, what's your view on Tommy and Eric in Ace and Peter's makeup? And Gene and Paul have said for a while that there will be a kiss 2.0 without them. What, yeah, what's your two views on those in a, in a couple of minutes, if you can, Carl? All right. Well, I don't think I'll need a couple of minutes. I can say in a very short period of time that um, I was disappointed with all that. I was very disappointed, and um, I'm not. I'm not on board uh, with that. I grew up, and and you know maybe it's just because I'm so nostalgic and I'm so attached to the kiss that I knew when I was a kid, and I did lose interest. I got to tell you, I lost interest once. Um, Ace and Peter were gone, and, and you know, still like it was a different band to me, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I still enjoyed their music to a certain degree, but the mystique was gone after that for me. And to have all this happen now is just kind of it's 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 heartbreaking. You know, it's disappointing. And I mean, I know I, I there are probably a lot of people out there who are into this, but um, it's it's just for me, you know. Um, Kiss will always be, um, you know, Paul, Gene, Ace, and Peter in their makeup, and Kiss Alive 2. Kiss Alive 2 was like, uh, 
just Nirvana for me. You know, what I mean? just like just the 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 second coming. I don't know how else to put it. It was mm-hmm. awesome. You know, I mean, it was just like that whole experience. That was the tour that I saw them on, by the way. You know, but uh, I mean, I, I dug Dynasty. I thought that was pretty cool. You know. The disco song on it. But that's that's a, such another great reference in the I, film as well. I know, I know. Uh, oh, a thousand and one movies you need to see before you die. It's a YouTube video. It's called a thousand and one movies you need to see before you die, and it has, well, it has an Easter egg in it that's really cool, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, but uh, the, but getting back to Kiss again, um, not on board, not not down with that. I don't, uh, you know. And the Tommy and Eric thing, I, I'm just not, I'm not into it. I, I and, and I was very, I was like, why didn't they just, you know, even that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing. I'm not, I, I just, uh, uh, I wanted to see the four, the original four get back together. And I'm very uh, uh, staunch about that. That's my firm belief. So you can, you can count me as one of those people. Yeah. You can count me as, as one of those. I don't know what your views are, but... I just want to come out of the gate and say that, uh, you know, Kiss for me is, is preserved in time, you know, back back in the olden days. Yeah. And the, the new stuff, fine, whatever. I'm glad. I, I, I could do a, without a little, the, the drama, too, that has, there's all kinds of drama that's happening with Ace and all that, you know, uh, but, but whatever. Um, yeah. It seems, there uh, seems to be constant drama lately with them. I know. Well, it's getting you know, it's getting them attention and all that. I'm, uh, that that's good uh, in a way, but um, I really would have loved to have seen the original lineup. Mm-hmm. Anyway, th- before that, we're going to have in three minutes. We're going to have the countdown timer oh, alarm. It's going to go off and cut us off. All right. Please t- tell the listeners what you're up to now. What you have got planned for the future? All right. Well, uh, what I wanted to do is um, uh, pitch this. Uh, it's called the 48 hour horror film project and it it's it's something that um it's gone on it's going on all over the country but i'm running the Rhode Island chapter of it and uh, the web address is www.48hourfilm.com/providence/horror and the 48 hour film project is um what happens is a, a bunch of teams filmmaking teams get together and they have uh, one weekend, 48 hours, to make a horror movie, a short horror movie. And it's a competition. There are, there are prizes and all that stuff. And um, uh, we've got some cool judges. Actually, Peter Schenk, the editor of Detroit Rock City, is one of the judges. Uh, and then um, there are a bunch of people who have worked on Carl Dupre movies, <laughs> uh, uh, who are actually some of the other judges. Um, there was a movie that I wrote in, and it, it was filmed here in, in Rhode Island in 2010 called Incubus with Robert Englund, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger fame. Um, and the pe- a lot of people worked on that, uh, our, our judges in this also. And anyway, I'm really proud of it. And um, anyway, go, uh, go register your team um, at, at that address and um, I'll, be, I'll be seeing you on October 17th which is the kickoff date. So there you go. There's the that's 48 a, hour film project. Yeah. That sounds really good. Again, I'll put the links up um, on the Facebook Ooh. and Twitter too. 
and get the word out there. Yeah, that sounds really good. Now, I know that the alarm's going to go off any minute now. Oh, no. So so before it does, I want to say, Carl, it's, it's been so good chatting to you. And uh, we, we need to chat again. We don't need to leave these sort of 12-year gaps before we talk to each I other. Know. <laughs> I know. There was so much that, that we didn't cover. I'm surprised. So much time went by. Um, the, the, uh, the, 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 just great, uh, great talking to you. And, um, and yeah, it's... Uh, uh, let's definitely do this again. Uh, I would love to have like a part two at yeah, some point. And you know, I'll get out, get out, get all the stuff I can. I can talk about Detroit. We can do one on the Detroit Rock City script someday. I, I, I can fill you in all sorts of uh, uh, stories that m some of them might be really surprising. Others will not be surprising at all. You'll be like, yep, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you're on then. That? You're on. I'm. Uh, I'm already. I'll pencil you in. A part two coming in already. Nice. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Good talking to you too, David. And um, and uh, this just—I can't wait to uh, hear the uh, the interview. And it's uh, it's hard to believe that, um, boy, yeah. Uh, Hell World was uh, where it all began. That's uh, that's pretty hilarious. It certainly is. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Carl. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, David. Have a good day. And so the countdown alarm has sounded and that ended my 60 minutes with Carl Dupree. Uh, I'm sure that you've uh, had a great time listening to it as much as I did having a chat with him. I'm, I'm really going to have to get used to this 60 minute uh, time period that I've got with people. So much more to ask him, so much more to chat about. And I think we can definitely pencil him in, in for uh, a Detroit Rock City special, uh, an hour chatting about Detroit Rock City and Kiss. That ticks all the boxes for me. Hopefully, for a lot of you that listen there, that listen to this as well. Um, at the moment, I haven't got a website or email address. The best way uh, that you can get in touch with me and follow everything that's happening and keep up to date with uh, news on guests uh, and links, uh, like the forty-eight hour uh, horror film. Uh, competition that uh, Carl was talking about is uh, on Facebook and Twitter so you need to go to facebook.com uh, forward slash 60 minutes with and that's with a six and a zero not not the written word and also on Twitter it's at 60 minutes with and that's again with a six and a zero uh, obviously as these episodes go on I'll keep you keep you updated with all the news on the website and uh, everything that's happening like that uh, iTunes reviews would be welcome uh, if you could. Uh, they all help to uh, raise the profile of the show, which is very important because it's the early days. Uh, and it also helps to get more to guests as well. Um, so that if you could spend a few minutes writing an iTunes review, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, these shows are not scheduled weekly. Uh, that I'm going to fit them in uh, in between episodes of what, of course, when we do 80s Picture House. Uh, if you've not listened to that, go to 80spicturehouse.co.uk for all the, all the podcasts that we do there with myself and Tom. Um, but I'm trying to keep these as regular as I can. Um, so again, follow on Facebook and Twitter and you'll get all the updates and you'll know who I'm going to talk to and when the shows will be out. But if you subscribe on iTunes, it will automatically be, de de uh, be delivered to your MP3 player of choice. So, thank you for listening. Uh, I will be back before too long chatting with another guest. Thank you.